the letter to the Hebrews. The author of this letter is anonymous, and people have wondered for a long time whether Paul wrote it or maybe one of his co-workers like Barnabas or Apollos, but really we just don't know. In chapter 2 we discover that the author had a first-hand relationship with the disciples who were themselves around Jesus, so we know that this letter is anchored in the teaching of the apostles. We also don't know who the audience of this letter was or even where they lived. The author knows them really well, and he assumes that they have a thorough knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, especially the storyline of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, about how Abraham's family became the nation of Israel, about how Moses led them out of slavery in Egypt to Mount Sinai, where they received the Torah and they made a covenant with God, where they built the tabernacle, where the priests offered sacrifices, and also about how they wandered through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. The author just expects that the readers know all of the details about these stories. And so most likely the audience is made up of Jewish Christians that's where the name of the letter comes from. We also have clues from chapter 10 that this church community was facing persecution and even imprisonment because of their association with Jesus. Some in the community were walking away from Jesus and abandoning the faith altogether. And this explains the purpose and the structure of this letter. First, there's a short introduction, which is followed by four sections where the author compares and contrasts Jesus with key people and events from Israel's history. Jesus is first compared with angels in the Torah, second with Moses and the Promised Land, third with priests and Melchizedek, and lastly with the sacrifices and the covenant. And the author has two main goals in all of these contrasts. The first goal is to elevate Jesus as superior to anyone or anything else, showing that Jesus is worthy of all their trust and devotion. But his second goal is this, it's to challenge the readers to remain faithful to Jesus despite persecution. So in every section he includes a strong warning not to abandon Jesus. Jesus. Welcome to the book of Hebrews. Guys, I'm so excited for this because as you just heard, when he says that there, there are two main purposes, to show that Jesus is superior and to help people stay faithful to him. Like that is what we're here for. In fact, I was having a conversation this week with my buddy Harold. He and a group of guys are going to be studying this together. And he told me the same thing. As we're, standing, as we're sitting on the phone, he says, I think there's really two main points in this book. I said, okay, shoot. He goes, don't drift, and Jesus is better. And guys, that's it. Everything in the pages to come in the book of Hebrews, and especially here in chapter 1, as it sets it all up, is to show you that Jesus is bigger and better, more wonderful, more powerful, more beautiful than anything you could ever imagine. And if that sounds like overselling it, just wait till you see what's in the book of Hebrews. (laughs) And so we're going to start that journey today because I want you to see that too. I want us to know what it means that when we sing Jesus Christ, my living hope, that when we sing about the sacrifice that he made for us, that the person who is doing that is worthy of our worship and loves us intimately every one of us as a child. In fact, Hebrews chapter 1, it it just kind of works out nicely, has a lot of, of this kind of father and son language because God the Father talks a lot about the Son, what it meant that Jesus was our Messiah, what it meant that he is our King. So let's jump right into this. In Hebrews chapter 1, starting with verse 1, it says that God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, 
has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Now you got to catch this because we just finished the book of Amos, right? So do you know Amos was mentioned in Hebrews chapter 1? That's him. That word prophets. That's Amos. That's Jonah. That's Jeremiah. That's Isaiah. That's all through the Psalms. All of those things. He's saying that God spoke through those things. And that's a big deal for the author of Hebrews. The idea that God speaks. And here's why. Because if God exists, but he's totally detached and he doesn't speak, then you and I can kind of make up whatever we want about God, cross our fingers and hope that it's true, and whoever really knows. But if it's true that God speaks, if when God speaks, he does so to reveal himself to us, then wouldn't you want to know what does God say about himself? What is it that God speaks? And and so we saw some of that in Amos. We see some of that throughout the Old Testament. That's what he's referencing here. That God has for ages spoken through these prophets, but in these last days, now there's something better than the prophets. In these last days, guys, which we are living in right now, he has spoken to us by his son. Now here's what's really cool. The, the, the Greek there could actually just say that he has spoken in son. Right? The idea is that God is always speaking, but someone like Amos, we, we saw it, right? God says, Amos, what do you see? Amos says, a basket of fruit. God says, right, now say this. There are always God's words, and, and Amos just repeats them, sometimes maybe not even understanding them. But when he says that he spoke in son, the picture that he's presenting is that Jesus is not just speaking God's words, he is God's word in the flesh. In fact, the video mentioned that we're not totally sure who the author of Hebrews is. There's a lot of different directions you could go to kind of try to guess and figure out, hey, here's why maybe it's this guy, here's why maybe it's that guy. But here's one of the cool things about this book. It is loaded with Old Testament scripture, just absolutely packed with cross-references to the Old Testament And every time it says, as God said, quotes the Old Testament. As the scriptures say, quotes the Old Testament. Wasn't it God who said, and hasn't God also said, and didn't he also say? He never quotes the human author. He doesn't say, as Moses said, or as David wrote. He's always saying, as God said, because he believes that God speaks. And I actually think, just my theory, that may be why his own name was left out of this. Because how weird would it be for him to quote like the, the entire Old Testament without crediting any human author, but making sure you know it's God who is speaking, and then the only human author who gets credit is the one writing Hebrew. So you know what, I'll leave my name out too. I, I kind of wonder, because he keeps putting the emphasis back on Jesus, that Jesus is the word of God. The idea here, get this, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Right? That's like his whole point in this first chapter. If you want to know what God is like, God is speaking. He is revealing to himself. And we had shadows of it and and images of it and, and reflections of it all through the Old Testament, all through the prophets. But now we have his son. That God's final word to a lost and sinful world is Jesus Christ, my living hope. If you've ever wondered... Does God love me? Could God forgive me? Is God kind? Is he compassionate? Is he strong? Is he bold? If you want to know what God is like, he says, look at Jesus. 
Check this out, how he continues in these verses. That he's in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, and here's how he describes him. Whom he has appointed heir of all things. All right, so let's just take these one at a time. Heir of all things, that's father-son language again. The idea that everything that belongs to God belongs to Jesus. There is no difference. Heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Okay, so don't miss what that's saying. Hebrews 1, 2 says that everything was created through Jesus Christ. That's significant because there are beliefs out there, they were wrestling with them in the book of Hebrews, that like Jesus was created somewhere along the way, and maybe him and Satan are brothers, and he's telling you right here, it was all created through him. He was one with God from the beginning, as John chapter 1 says, and we'll come back to this idea that everything was created through Jesus. Through him he also made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Neil mentioned this a little bit a moment ago, that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. That is the brightness that led the people through the wilderness. It is the brightness that they saw at the top of the mountain when they received the Ten Commandments, God's covenant with them. It is the brightness that shone on Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. This is the very glory of God. So think about it this way. It's sort of like Jesus is the visible part of God. If God is the source of the glory and Jesus is that glory shining forth because they are one and the same. And and I know this is deep theology and Hebrews 1 just like rattles him off. Like he wants you to know everything about Jesus but he only has so much ink and so much parchment. So he just crams them all into these two verses. But that's why he follows it by saying that he is the express image of his person. See there's a sense in which you and I are made in the image of God but Jesus is the image of God. In other places in the New Testament, you see this same truth taught by saying that he is the exact representation of God's being. He's not God Jr. He's not a demigod. He's not an angel. He's not just human. He's not anything else that you might pin on him. He is the exact, express, visible image of God himself. God in the flesh. Is Jesus Christ. The express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Which means not only was everything created through Jesus, but that Jesus is upholding all things. Holding everything together by the word of his power. And then it says, and when he had by himself purged our sins... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. All right, so did you catch all of that? Jesus is bigger and better and more beautiful than anything you could have imagined. He's the heir of God. He's appointed all things to be, to him to be heir of all things. He made the worlds. He's the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. He upholds all things. And when he himself had purged our sins, he sat down. You know why he sat down? Because it is finished. That's what he told us from the cross, right? When he himself had purged our sins, when Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and ascended 
He sat down at the right hand of the Father because the work of salvation was complete. That's going to be a critical message in the book of Hebrews and for our lives as well. One of the ways that we think this is probably a Jewish audience is because he's constantly warning them about drifting back to old covenant, old sacrifices, old priests, and pointing them forward to Jesus alone. You know, when you walk out of this building today, if you turn around and look up, if you're sitting in the chapel, it's directly above us. There's a cross at the top of this building. You know why that's there? In some sense, it's like a road sign, right? You drive by, I wonder what that building is. Is it a castle? Well, there's a cross on top. Oh, maybe it's a church. But honestly, a big part of that is it is a constant reminder for us that Jesus finished his work, that Jesus purged our sins if we trust him as our forgiver. In fact, the reason that the cross on top of this building is empty is because we know he finished that work by being buried and rising again. That he is no longer on that cross because that sacrifice is complete. And what I love about this, Keller describes Jesus this way, that when it says that he's the brightness, when it says that he came to earth, lived in the flesh, died for you and me, it's like that is the visible part. That is the part of God's glory. That is the image that we can actually relate to. That a big part of what Jesus was showing us is that God is here. God is with you. And that as much as you hear these descriptions created the universe and spread out the stars and all of these things, and you say, oh my, he's so distant. Like, how could I ever, how, does he even see me? How could he love me? How could I know him? Well, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And here's a guy who went fishing. Good Father's Day kind of thing to do, right? Sat around with friends talking about what the Bible says. Helping them understand God. Eat, drink, shake hands, give hugs. Heal people. Touch people's lives. You can have a personal relationship with the God of glory. That is who Jesus Christ is. And I love this because all of those descriptions are, are concluded with purged our sins. That he takes our sins away. Every mistake, every place that you've let God down, you've let yourself down, you've let other people down, that you've done things wrong. And you don't like me saying that to you, but we all know it's true for all of us. And he takes it away. And that is every bit as powerful and godlike as upholding the universe. Is that amazing? So in the next couple of verses, then picking up again in verse 3, it says, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And we'll come back to angels, but I want you to notice that it says he is better. Better. That word is going to be used 12 times in the 13 chapters of the book of Hebrews. That Jesus is better then whatever else you're imagining could save you, then whatever else might draw you away from him, Jesus is better. And part of it is because he has a more excellent name. I love that. In, in that last song we sang, we sang, Jesus Christ, you are my living hope. And, oh God, you are my living hope. Because Jesus Christ is God, our living hope, and there is no other. That the name he bears... Jesus Christ means 
the Lord, Yahweh saves, and that he is Christ, Messiah, Savior. That is the name that he bears to us. That is who he is to us. That is what it means for us. And so everything in this book is trying to point us back to Jesus. Did you figure that out yet? <laughs> it's a little bit on the nose, right? And yet it's an awesome Bible study tip. And in fact, we've got packed into your program today, or, or you can see a stack of these outside. I don't want you to miss this, because we put together this bookmark with some Bible study tools. And these are things that, like, they'll help you in Hebrews, but they'll help you anywhere. But we picked, like, five of the most central Bible study tips that the book of Hebrews is going to use. So as we go through this together, we're going to be able to practice these, and you'll see that this is exactly what Hebrews uses to understand Jesus, to understand the prophets. And so one of those is to stay centered on Jesus. So it says, number four, right here on the card, says, in Luke 24, 44, Jesus says he fulfills the entire Bible. Right? That's what we saw in Amos 9 last week. So what does the passage I'm reading predict or reveal about Jesus, about his life, or about his mission? I got to tell you, for most of my life, I, I didn't know that that was one of my options. But if you go back to the Old Testament, you know, if you're reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and as you roll through these things, every once in a while, or uh, maybe like every chapter, you know, you got to pause and say, what on earth is going on here? What does this have to do with anything? And why did God put this page in this book? <laughs> One of the greatest tips for understanding that is to say, okay, if the whole thing's about Jesus, how is this a part of it? What is this trying to show me? What is it revealing? Those are the kinds of questions that, that the book of Hebrews is asking. Those are the kinds of questions I want you guys to be asking. I mean, really, that's why Horizon is here, right? Like, it's fun to hang out with you guys, but the reason that we're here is that we want to hang out with you guys and help each other get to know Jesus better, understand the Bible better, get to know God better. You know, I got a friend, uh, Joe, here at Horizon, and Joe and his son, Joey, have been asking those same questions. Good, good Father's Day story, right? Joe and Joey. But those questions have been difficult for them because both of them kind of had some faith in their background growing up, spent some time kind of in and out of church, believed that God was a thing and he's around and he's probably doing something. But they hit a time in their life where they faced a major challenge because Joe's wife, Joey's mom, Tracy, got cancer. And ultimately, she passed away because of that disease a few years ago. And so as they went through that season, like major questions start to arise about who is God really? Who is Jesus really? Tracy believed that Jesus had forgiven her sin, and we believe confidently today that she is in the presence of the King forever. Hallelujah. And so Joe, her husband, says, okay, the way he describes it is that he decided, let's try this faith thing then. Let's pray hard and let's believe God and let's ask for healing and let's see if that works. And when it seemed like that wasn't working, he said, well, that's not working, so now let's try it without him and see if that works. And he would tell you, that did not work either. <laughs> that felt worse. You know, so there was a season for him of, of major questioning and difficult challenge and, and for Joey too. He, he describes it now as a season where, looking back, he realizes he was just angry at God. 
for everything that was happening to his mom and happening in their lives. And as I got to know them better and spending time with their family and celebrating what we knew was true for Tracy, Joe and Joey decided that if they're going to believe it or not believe it, how can they really know what decision they're making unless they read it for themselves? I mean, is that not like the smartest thing that you've ever heard somebody say? It's amazing to me how many times in our culture people believe things or don't believe things without reading it for themselves. But God speaks. Guys, God speaks. That's why the book is here. And so Joe and his son Joey decided we're going to do this together. And dads, pro tip, if you're a dad in the room or if you might be someday, whatever age your kids are, that is part of your, I'm going to say job, but I want you to hear it like excitement. It's part of your privilege as a father to help your kids discover who Jesus really is. That's for us, to see who Jesus really is. Because if you tell me that I can know God by looking at Jesus, then who is Jesus? What do we know about him? So Joe and Joey jumped into a Bible study here at Horizon. First time for either of them. And and I can tell you, I'm, I'm privileged to be in there with them. And it has been so much fun watching them on their journeys. Both of them would tell you today, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that they are Christ followers. That they know Jesus is who he says he is. That they know that their eternity is secure. And that they're going to see wife, mom, again. Because they got into this book to see Jesus for who he really is. And that's exactly what Hebrews wants us to do. And the way it does it really throughout, but especially in chapter 1, is by deep dive on Old Testament passages. So I want you to see Hebrews chapter 1 again. I'm going to put this up on the screen. This is all of Hebrews chapter 1, okay? I know you can't read it. If you can, you are an eagle eye. But now I want to show you what it looks like if you take out all of the Old Testament cross-references from Hebrews chapter 1. Is that crazy? Like Hebrews chapter 1, this guy sits down to write the Bible. I don't, he probably doesn't even know it. And it's only like 20% new content. Everything else in Hebrews chapter 1 is direct quotation from the Old Testament specifically to show you who Jesus is. But I thought Jesus was born in the New Testament. See, part of what you're going to see in this book is that it's not as if that's how it was and Jesus is how it is now. What he's going to show you is that Jesus is how it has always been. That these things were a shadow to point us to him. So check this out. The bookmark that you've got, another one of the tips on there is exactly what Hebrews is about to do. Use the Bible to interpret the Bible. If I read the Old Testament and I don't understand it, I can put it in the context of Jesus. If I'm reading the New Testament and I feel like there's something missing, where else does the Bible talk about this same topic? Where else does it bring up these same questions? And so check this out in verse 5. He's going to start doing us for this. So this is like case study of how to read the Old Testament. For to which of the angels did he, that being God, ever say, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Okay, and I'm going to put these references underneath for you. So that is directly out of Psalm 2, verse 7. 
And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Straight out of 2 Samuel 7, 14. Now you notice a couple of things here. Again, this is the father-son language that God uses. Right? That we, we have this sense of what we describe as the Trinity, that it is God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that yet each of them is fully God. And that's a case that Hebrews wants us to understand because he's within a generation of Christ. And so he knows that people knew him in the flesh, that they knew Jesus, that they shook his hand, that he was fully human. He wants them to see also that he's fully God. And so part of the picture here, when he says, today I have begotten you, that word, it's, it's tricky in the English, but it's almost more like, today I have inaugurated you. Right? We, we just saw that Jesus has been there since before the beginning of the world, that he's not created. He is eternally God. And yet that there's a sense that through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, that through his obedience there, he has taken his rightful throne as the Son of God. And so it also says, again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, I love this because this comes out of 2 Samuel 7. And, and I want you to see that passage because this is one of those places where Hebrews starts to pull these things together. And you think, like, I think I've read that before. That was about Jesus? Because back in 2 Samuel chapter 7... David has just become king. So if you remember our first Samuel series where David spends like half the book running for his life and wondering why God's not fulfilling promises, this is kind of that sweet moment where there's like, take a deep breath. <laughs> God fulfilled his promises. David has become king. And God speaks to David these words. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers... Okay, a recognition that David is not going to be king forever. He will die one day. He says, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Now, the immediate fulfillment of this, in some measurement, came through Solomon, which is pretty wild because... The, the details get sorted over the next few chapters, but David has not even met Bathsheba yet. He has not had that sin. You know, the first child dies, but then Solomon is born to David and Bathsheba. And before all of that, God has made this promise. And it is Solomon who follows David as king. In fact, 2 Samuel 7 is going to come back again much later in Hebrews because it becomes such a core passage because you realize that even though Solomon built the temple, and so, yeah, I can see that house of God. Oh, he came from David's body, right? This is his lineage. This is his kingdom. Oh, what about this bit that I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever? Well, that's not Solomon. Solomon is not king right now. <laughs> David is not either. So how is it possible? Who could it be that could be king forever from David's line? Well, to be king forever, he would have to exist forever, from eternity past to eternity future. Hebrews is telling you, that's Jesus. Jesus is king forever. But that's not all. Not only is he king forever, it also says that he's better than angels. I, I told you this would come back. Check out verse 6. 
when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Out of Psalm 97. Now think about that. The angels are told to worship God. And now Hebrews is saying, when that showed up in Psalm 97, and possibly in Deuteronomy, the angels must worship him. See, the claim, just like we sang in Living Hope, the claim is because Jesus is God. He goes on and says, and of angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Jesus is better than the angels because they worship him and they work for him. And so we'll save most of our angel conversation for chapter 2 next week as he's going to deep dive into that. But it's enough for now to say that when you hear the word angel, it actually just means messenger. Angelos is the Greek word for that. There's a Hebrew word too. And so it doesn't describe a type of creature as much as it describes the role of the servant that God has sent. And as active as the angels are throughout the entire Bible, as powerful as they are, like eventually one angel is going to bind Satan when God tells him to. That the Bible tells us that there are angels fighting battles all around us all the time. And we can't really be overly dogmatic about them because there's just not enough detail. But here's what we know for sure. Jesus is even better. You see, it's not so much that he was afraid they were going to worship angels, but that they had a great respect for them as servants of God. And he wants them to understand that Jesus is better because he's not just a servant. Although he came to serve, but he is God himself. So he goes on that not only is Jesus the only son of God, not only is he better than angels, but as we have seen, he is king forever. Check out verse 8. You see, to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So if it wasn't clear yet, he makes it clear here. Hebrews says that Psalm 45, speaking of Jesus, calls him God and says his throne is forever. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Not David, not Solomon. Jesus is king forever. And so here's one of the really fun things about when you just, when you persevere to read through the Bible... I love the Psalms, but I know that there's a lot of symbolism and stuff in there, and it can be hard sometimes to kind of work your way through it. But, but let me encourage you, like, all these quotes in chapter 1, all of them are from Psalms except that Second Samuel. Like, these are the worship songs that people would sing. These are how they remember their theology and their truth. And just this week, it, it just so happened, as I was doing my uh, morning reading, I hit Psalm 45. And I'm reading it, and I'm like, this is good. You know, I had a few of them to read, and... Hold on a second. I feel like I recognize that part. <laughs> was, that in, was that in Hebrews? Come back to Hebrews. Realize his whole point is that Jesus is king forever. Go back to Psalm 45. And I'm going to save the rest of that for the pathway video this afternoon for sake of time. <laughs> it's amazing what you realize is true about Jesus when you read the Old Testament in that context. In fact, that's not all. In verses 10 and 12, through 12 more psalms. This is going to come from Psalm 102. He says, you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. Did you just catch that? 
in back-to-back quotations, he has now called Jesus God and Lord. And this is the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He just called Jesus Yahweh. Not a really good person, not a really great teacher, both of those things, right? But God and Lord, who laid the foundation of the earth. He says of Jesus that the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not fail. This is like the phenomenal cosmic power picture of Jesus. More years ago than I'd like to admit, I took a physics class in high school. And my dad was my physics teacher. So, so my dad is like a renaissance man. I, I don't understand how his brain works. Because he's got like the philosophy half of his brain, but he's also got the math half of his brain. So I, I had him for theology classes, philosophy classes, um, career as a computer programmer. I took programming from him, but one of the classes he taught us was physics. And so in physics, I learned, and you're, you, I think you'll like this, every single object in the universe that has mass exerts a gravitational force on every other object in the universe that has mass. Okay? Set that over here. Then one day, as we're talking about the universe and the number of stars, you know that there are seven times ten to the twenty-second power stars estimated in the universe. Seven billion trillion. So if you remember last week in Amos 9 when we were talking about the rain, that was 510 trillion cubic meters of water every year. Seven billion trillion stars we estimate in the universe so because i'm trying to pay attention but i can't help asking questions like this i raise my hand and say dad so so that means there are seven billion trillion stars trying to pull me off planet earth right now with their gravitational force right and i because he loves me i think he rolled his eyes on the inside of his head (laughs) like technically yes but remember there's the inverse square law they are so far away it's happening but you can't really feel it. But, but just because just I think it's fun, that means that when a star explodes and then closes in on itself and its gravitational pull becomes stronger, when a star explodes, it's pulling you off the planet more than it was before. When a star explodes, you lose weight. <laughs> I know. That's why I, that's why I got a B- in that class. <laughs> Focused on the wrong things. But check this out. Why am I telling you this? Here's why. 7 times 10 to the 22nd power stars in the universe. 7 times 10 to the 25th power atoms in the average human body. Every star, every atom, every person held together by Jesus Christ. That our universe is so intricately woven so carefully balanced, so perfectly put together by Jesus. What if he let go? You know, it might 
sound like what it just said in Psalm 102. Like a cloak, you will fold them up and they will all be changed. But he doesn't let go. And if he can hold the universe, he can hold you. In fact, the last two verses of this chapter, 13 and 14, say that to which of the angels has God ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? See, Christ alone is the conquering king, the Messiah, the Savior, who purged our sins, whose work is complete forever. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Because you realize we're talking about the fulfillment of Amos 9 right now. When he said that all the nations would be called by the name of the Messiah, we're sitting here today and that's us. We are those. And look, if you're sitting here today and you say, I don't know if I am a Christian, I don't know if I know Jesus that way, I pray that Hebrews is your invitation to get to know him. That you too might inherit salvation from him, through him, not by your good works, not by your power, but do you understand that the God who created those stars and holds them together holds you and offers his forgiveness and his life? And all of the angels, they're just ministering spirits. Because he loves you, he sends them to serve us. So as we go through this together, here's my invitation. It's really from Hebrews. Because it's all centered on Jesus, let's stay Jesus-centered. Again, Tim Keller says that when you understand this about who Christ is, then either this entire thing is a sham, or everything, everything has to be about him. And so we're going to discover that together in this book. And so I'd encourage you, you know, keep this bookmark with you. As you're reading Hebrews, as you're reading other things, you know, read through some of these tips and try practicing them, especially when you hit a passage that you're not sure what to do with. But the other way that I want to encourage you to do this, if you haven't heard of this, we do something every week called a pathway. And so if you've got a program, there's a copy of a pathway guide that is right inside of there. And essentially what this is to do is it's got really practical kind of deep thought questions to help you take the book of Hebrews and make it real in your own life, to take what you're hearing about Jesus and live it out. So every week that's in there, and every week on Sunday afternoons we put out a pathway video. So that will come out this afternoon like right around 2 o'clock, something like that, that goes hand in hand with this guide and with this book, with the book of Hebrews, with these weekend messages to help you take what you're hearing and really absorb it and live it out. So I'd encourage you, whether you do that on your own, whether you grab a friend and, hey, and say, hey, hey, I was looking at the pathway and this one question, what do you think about that? What does that look like for you? Maybe you've got some ideas for me. You know, guys like Harold are doing it with a group of guys here at Horizon. If that's something interesting to you, please let us know. We would love to help you get connected and to stay centered on Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we know that you are the only son of God, you are better than angels, and you are the only king forever. We give you all of the glory, Jesus, today. We thank you for revealing yourself to us, and I pray that every one of us, even as we walk out of here on Father's Day, would think about our heavenly father, his son, 
and that our confidence would be in you who holds all things together. Jesus, we will pray that in your name. Amen. Thank you for coming. Happy Father's Day.